0: This episode of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxy and cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, www.l5rshop.com puts cards in your hands quickly and economically. This is Strange Assembly, episode 115, Blood Feud. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Fred Wan. Hey, Fred.
1: Good afternoon. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing all right, and if you've been listening to us for any length of time, you probably know that Fred is a member of the story team and the continuity editor for Legend of the Five Rings, and so... Legend of the Five Rings is what we're going to be talking about, or perhaps, more accurately, Rokugan?
1: I think that's right. Generally, the idea of today was to discuss just a grab bag of setting-related information that Chris or I wanted to talk about.
0: And and the the very first thing that we had had gone to do this a bit ago, and uh, the, the first suggestion thing was the feud between Kikita and Matsu, and then possibly more broadly the role of blood feuds in Rokugen generally. Now, of course, Fred, any sensible person knows that Matsu was completely in the wrong, and this is just an example of the lion being unreasonable in this feud with Kikita, but apparently there are people who don't think that way. I don't understand.
1: Okay, well, let's start with (laughs) my observation of the broader understanding of the players as a whole. I think more players understand Kikita's side of this feud than the Matsu side. I think it's much easier to get your head around, and I think it's more in line with contemporary kind of uh, European and North American culture to understand Kikita's side, right? And just to summarize Kikita's side of that feud, he beats Matsu in the finals of the original Test of Emerald Championship, he turns and walks away from her, and she calls him out because he had been bowing to all of his previously defeated opponents before leaving, and he did not extend that courtesy to her. He responds by saying that she had not given the proper respect to her opponents, and therefore she was not entitled to respect. She then basically says, let's throw down for real right here and now. The Emperor steps in and says, we're not going to have blood shed on this joyous occasion, which is the crowning of my first Emerald Champion. champion." And then Matsu, in essentially full sight of the court, declares a feud on Kakita and his descendants. Uh, Would you agree that's a fair summation, Chris? Yeah, I think so. Okay. It's pretty straightforward from kind of our vantage where Kikita's coming from, right? He thinks, well, she's out of line and she has no business asking for respect if she's not giving respect to her other opponents, I'm going to treat her as I feel she deserves. And I would say most players kind of get that side. So I think it's much more interesting and much more illuminating to explore kind of the Matsu side and the Lion perspective on the exact same events. Okay, so let's start by assuming all of the events that originally were published in Way of the Crane uh, are are more or less correct, that it's not like Kakita is lying or that he's trying to make a political point by painting Matsu in an unduly bad light. So let's just assume that the broad strokes of that exchange uh, are correct. Let's also assume that Matsu does not give her opponent's enough respect from Kikita's eyes that we, we don't know exactly what she does or does not do. Uh, he does not allege that he, she insults them. So we'll assume that she beats them and then walks away. Right? Not that she kicks them while they're down or anything like that. Just that whatever she does, it's not sufficiently deferential from Kikita's perspective.
0: Uh, do we not have any information on the specifics of that?
1: Not that I'm aware of, actually. It, yeah. It's one of those things where if you're looking at material that only comes from the way of books, the first set of RPG expansions, um, you want to keep in mind that the original way of books were all intentionally biased to be from the client perspective of the book of the book in question. So way of the crane is from a crane perspective, way of the lions from a lion perspective, and so on.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: And others in way of the Phoenix that is mechanically, I think biased against Phoenix, most of the books were also kind of mechanically oriented towards their clans and somewhat portrayed the clan in a positive light. But all of that, let's just assume *Test as the Emerald Champion, happens more or less the way it's laid out in the way of the grade. So why would the lion say, no, we are the party that has been wrong? Let's start with one of the premises of proper conduct in the setting particularly as it was portrayed in first edition of the RPG, right? One of the important rules of the setting is it is honorable to help preserve the face of another, and it's dishonorable to go out of your way to to cause someone a loss of face. This is one of the reasons why most clans despise the scorpion. The scorpion go out of their way to make you look bad, and that's dishonorable, or at the very least, it's a disregard for honorable behavior. So, Kakita, when asked why he's doing something, does not make up a polite lie to preserve Matsu's face. He, in fact, goes out of his way to say things bluntly to cause her a loss of face. That's inappropriate.
0: I guess I always took it as, she's insulted because he has deliberately disrespected her. It's just that we from outside the setting tend to look at it and be like, well, but she deserved it.
1: Yeah. Although he never goes that far. He just says, I don't think you have given them appropriate respect. And on top of that, it's not like Kakita treated her the same way he treated everyone else. He treats her differently than the way he treated all of his opponents. So from the lion or a traditionalist honor perspective, Kakita has gone out of his way to change his behavior to provoke Matsu so that he can call her out in public. Which, at the very least, is honor neutral, and an argument, and it's a fairly arguable argument, can be made that he's actually engaged somewhat dishonorably in order to try to score social points.
0: Well, you could also make an argument that. He's behaving honorably because at some point, right? This is one of those goofy things that yes. flips if you're looking in the RPG. At some point, it's honorable to help others save face, and then at other points, it's dishonorable if you don't point out the, you know, the, yes. the dishonorable conduct of others.
1: And and I'm going to keep going though because this is again the lion perspective, which I sure. just hasn't been voiced, right? And and I feel like it is important for a complete understanding of why the Matsun Kakita have had ill will for so long because the Lion are a generally considered to be the most honorable clan in the Empire. If it was clear that Matsu was out of line it just period the Lion are brutally honest with Bushido enough that they would eventually have said no wait this is dishonorable conduct and we're not going to have future generations of samurai honoring and emulating that incident if we were clearly in the wrong. So it, ca- it has to at least be arguable or the setting doesn't work. So that's the first argument, right? That Kakita has changed his behavior in order to provoke an incident, which is, depending on your source for honor within the RPG or the setting, is inappropriate or dishonorable. Let's look at the second argument. The second argument is that the only person who is appropriately placed to criticize the conduct of a samurai is his or her lord. So if I, as an outsider, believe you have acted dishonorably, the correct thing to do is to make sure your lord is aware of the transgression so your lord can tell you to stop it. So in, a, in that context, Kakita, if he believes Matsu is acting dishonorably, should go to Okoto. Instead, he criticizes her behavior in public. That is appropriately the role, station, position, and prerogative of Lord Okoto. So at that point, Kakita is committing more or less the sin of presumption. He is placing himself in the station and role and social position of another's. And at that point, Matsu is almost obligated to respond because now Kakita's conduct has impugned the role of her lord. It's implied in his conduct that he believes her lord is not exercising proper control and direction over his subordinates. So Matsu now has to respond not only in her own name, but on behalf of Okoto to respond to the insult that Kakita's kind of high-handedness has given to her lord. So it's no longer just about her. That's a tough argument to get intuitively if you haven't, like, really dug deep into the setting. But it's an important one because that also informs how seppuku works, which is, you know, an entire separate discussion, which could be another day's topic. But it's very important to realize when Kakita says, no, you shouldn't act like this, which is really reading between the lines what he's trying to communicate, he is improperly giving direction to a vassal that is not his own. But that means he's usurping Lord Okoto's place, and Lord Akoto or his subordinates, such as Lady Matsu, are entitled to respond to that. So that's the second argument. The third argument is probably my weakest one, and so I probably shouldn't have ended on it, (laughs) <laughs> but I think it's an important one to understand in terms of the setting. Okay. This is the Test the Championship. It's in front of some of the best duelists in the Empire. It's in front of Emperor Hante. So in full view of everyone, Matsu calls for a feud on Kakita. If she is clearly acting inappropriately, why is the Emperor forbidding Kakita from enacting justice or enacting a remedy against her? Because if Kakita is being wronged by her feud, the Emperor should allow his Emerald Champion To pursue a remedy. And the remedy would be either a duel or an execution or whatever you want to call it, right? So either A, the emperor for whatever reason is punishing Kakita even though he's the wronged party. Or B, something else. And the lion would say that something else is, and there's a lot of implicit assumptions here, but hey, this is how this kind of thinking works. The Lion would believe, A, everyone knows Matsu would defeat Kakita in a real fight. The Lion would take that without question, and they would point to the fact that she's a thunder and he's not, and so she would be destined to prevail in such a conflict anyways. Yes, that's a little bit circular. (laughs) And B, that the reason the Emperor, since we know Matsu would beat Kakita in a fight, has chosen to intervene is so that the test of the Emerald Champion doesn't begin and end with the death of the first Emerald Champion. That the Emperor is saying there will be no blood drawn this day because he's protecting Kakita from Matsu's justified vengeance. And if the Emperor disapproved of this feud, he would have said, you can't do that. Or he he would have told Okoto, you know, correct your subordinates' misunderstanding. He doesn't do that. The Lion would argue, in a clear-cut issue of a feud that started over honor, that if Matsu was in the wrong, the Emperor would have done something other than what he did. The Lion would argue the only logical reason for the Emperor to say, no blood is going to be drawn this day, is to protect Kikita. And I'm not saying that's actually the truth, or or that it's clearly one way or the other. I'm saying, though, that this is an argument that is not flawed on its face, and is strong enough that the other clans would not have weighed in and said, no, no, you're clearly crazy. Because, again, this was done in full view of the general public. It was big news it was something that was passed down for over a thousand years. It is unlikely that it's simply because of someone going ballistic. So those would be the three main kind of perspectives the line would bring on the Kikinamatsu feud. That within the context the Emperor, would have done something to to aid or assist Kakita or force Matsu to back down if Matsu was wrong. B, that Kakita's actions within the context of the setting are dishonorable, that clearly the party who is doing the thing that is wrong is him. And C, that even if he was correct on the substance, it's not his place to correct Matsu. And that by putting himself in the shoes of Lord Akoto, he is insulting all lions. That would be the lion perspective on the same feud.
0: Okay, now I think you'd, uh, I I hope you agree. Now, if we're if we're gonna go into that kind of detail on the uh, the lion side, counselor, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we should point out some holes in those arguments. Yeah. Behind the ones that you you know pointed out yourself, like you're just kind of assuming that the lion are right. First, Okoto was there, so if Okoto yes. took any issue with how Kakita was acting towards Okoto, it was Okoto's job to object to that, not Matsu's. It would have, in fact, been presumptuous for Matsu to take issue with that. Further, Matsu was taking issue with the Emerald Champion, whose yeah. own lord, the Emperor, was right there. So if it was presumptuous for Kakita to correct the Matsu directly, rather than bringing it to the attention of Okoto. It was doubly presumptuous for Matsu to, to attempt to address Kikita in that way, when his lord, the emperor, was was sitting right there.
1: And yeah, It's, it's one of those things where, at that point, you start getting into he said, she said. <laughs> I, I do think that, like, it's it's interesting who is Kikita's lord at that point in time. He's not married to Doji yet, so probably at that point he is He answers to the emperor. But then the line would say the fact that the emperor, having turned his mind to this feud, chose to say you're not drawing blood today is implicit approval.
0: The other possible argument, you know, you said that if he had thought Matsu was wrong, then he wouldn't have let her make it. Well, if he thought Kikita was wrong, then why would he have stopped her from just doing things right then, uh, you know, right? This is the... Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I think what you get down to there is what you you often get down to with a lot of these... I mean, they're lion things. They could be Bushido things generally, yeah. but right, lion are the ones who... Uh, you know, we, we think of this as taking it strictly, but it's it's really just... In any situation, in any conversation, if you are strictly applying the full range of Rokugani Societal goofiness. Anything that anybody says to you can become an insult in some way. Yes, absolutely. And so, it really is never, ever a question of, was there an insult? Because you can always come up with something that was an insult. And the question is really, how reasonable is yeah. it for you to take it as an insult? And yeah. how reasonable is your response? And yeah. so, right? That's why we've got the lion doing things like, oh, well, some guy broke an engagement three centuries ago, so I massacred an entire minor clan. Yep. What's your problem? I I don't think you need to go down into these 17 layers of can the lion come up with a justification? I think you can just stop at the first one. You'd just be like, look, clearly, Kakita is not being super duper courteous to me. He's being rooted to some extent by by disrespecting me. And whether or not he's correct doesn't matter because, I mean, even if you accurately accuse me of doing something bad, you're still, you know, directly or indirectly accuse me of doing something bad. And that's why I I take offense. And so it's really, I I think the the question is, you get into those other questions of is this a reasonable response and, and, the, the one thing I, just want to go back to your first one, it's like, well, if the lion, several centuries later, are still fighting about it, doesn't that mean that there was some basis? Well, I, that I don't know that I buy. I mean, the, sure. when someone outside is accusing them of, of something, I mean, they're never, no, no lion, even if in his head the lion had known that Matsu was completely wrong, like, no self-respecting Matsu, centuries later, at any time later is going to be willing to concede that his that his ancestor was incorrect. That is something. I mean, it would had to have been a lion right away. Some matsu general committing seppuku rather than because he thought the blood feud was was illegitimate. We'll
1: get back to that point of would they necessarily be several generations several generations down the line? Would they necessarily all say Matsu was right later, because I want to tie that into the Tamori. But all I'm seeking to show, all I'm seeking to show, is that the Lion have at least reasonable, objectively, and within the setting, reasons for holding their side of this feud. That it's not just wing nuttiness, and it's not just Matsu was right, why? Because, slam the table. That there are explanations that within the context of setting make sense for the basis of their position. That's it, right? Because we don't have a clear-cut perspective on how Matsu treated everyone else. We just don't, right? And that's re- that would be really important contextual information.
0: Yeah, I, w- I was kind of surprised I, I admit when we talked about this and the blood thing, I'll bit back. I went to go look up information about this, and I, I can't remember the details because that was uh, weeks ago now. But yeah, I was surprised that this doesn't like come up more. Like when you read the timelines, it doesn't really get mentioned in any kind of detail, yeah. if at all. Yeah. Or Or uh, right. And
1: yeah. but and in a way, modern fiction. Then mod- the current characters have no way of knowing what actually happened. So it's very difficult to inject it organically into fiction. It would have to be in the RPG. Yeah. And no one who happens to be currently writing has decided to focus on that, which is, you know, fine. I'm, I'm not currently writing RPG material. I mean, that's in no way an indictment either. The, the stuff that's come out is actually very, very good. It's just something where I think it's worth examining to understand how... A traditionalist, relatively rigid mindset on honor would interpret Matsu's side if they were saying, well, why does she hold this seemingly bullying justification position? And my answer is, it's not that simple from the context of the setting, and we don't know objectively, as an audience, all of the relevant facts. They just haven't been revealed, and I think it's kind of better that they're not. Because at this stage, the Matsu and Kakita, even though the two clans are, are, you know, more or less on good terms, it's, you know, the Matsu in particular are not happy with the way Kakita acted, right? And the Kakita probably don't take it as quite as seriously as the Matsu dude, partially because Kakita started at least two feuds in his lifetime. But it's useful to analyze because People often boil it down to, well, Matsu was being a bully and she didn't like being called out. That's it. We're done. And I don't think any of the kind of iconic feuds or disputes from the early canon are as interesting or are as accurately understood if it's just as simple as, well, that guy was crazy.
0: You don't want it to be quite as simple as that guy was crazy you know you want See you want player base to have right, something to sink its teeth into yeah
1: and and for that there has to be intelligibility even if you disagree with it for each side's position
0: yeah who was that when you say the second food do you mean miramoto or somebody else Yeah, miramoto Okay. Right?
1: kikita kikita as far as we can tell in the canon without any provocation whatsoever, he just writes a book and says, you know, the two-sword two style is a coward style. He just does, right? And there's been no illumination other than that's what he believed.
0: And, oh, but of course, see, and yet the dragon and the crane don't go around slaughtering each other a thousand years later just because, right, because it's the dragon and the crane, not the lion. That's right. I mean, but, that, <laughs> and,
1: and the lion would actually say, Kakita's actions here show that he liked to start stuff, which lend, which the lion's say lends credence to their argument about why he was starting something with Matsu. That it was in character for Kikita to be kind of smart mouth, and so on and so forth. And meanwhile, you know, the Miramoto and Kikita, while they're not super or duper, like, again, there's respect there now, but at the same time, the Miramoto, like, but then again, when this all started, you guys, out of nowhere... As far as we can tell, out of nowhere, your, one of your founders decided to call our style that of a coward. Well,
0: oh, but unless I'm misrecalling, that one as a as a nasty thing, that basically ended when Hijatsu and Kikita had their their duel and and Kikita basically, yeah, I mean, Kikita, like concluded it by saying, okay, okay, I did we, we officially respect your style now. We may not think, we um, really still think we're better, but, you know. That
1: concluded with the death of Hojatsu and Kikita. Yes. Yeah. So it's not so much friendly respect as I think the Muramoto and the Kakita are like, the flower of two schools <laughs> cut down as a result. Maybe maybe it's time to, in, in, a, in a way, it's because Matsu didn't get to fight Kikita. Because if, if those two had gone at it, then one of them would not have been around for other tasks later on, right?
0: Yeah.
1: So, it's interesting to think about, but I don't, I don't think, I think there's genuine respect between the Miramoto and Kakita school, but there's also the remembrance that like, Kakita and Hojatsu obviously didn't write live to write to retract anything, and Kikita's last statement was to Hojatsu's sword, saying, finish the job that your master would have you do. Well, and I'm paraphrasing.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah.
1: So, there was no official retractment of, hang on, coward style. And that's... Like, the two families have kind of made peace. And they still have a rivalry going, but it's no longer a hot rivalry, as it were. It's a more professional
0: rivalry. Yeah, I mean, it's a rivalry, not a feud. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And the Kakita and the Matsu are currently not feuding because their two parent clans are very like-minded on how important honor is. So I would say, speaking in a semi-official capacity, that if you're running an RPG, both families just agree not to discuss this. Because neither family really can back down, and both clans, for the most part, get along with each other. So it's just one of those things where, you know, in the interest of harmony, and in the interest of honoring a broader, clan-wide good feeling, in order to maintain that, both families agree it's honorable of them to not shake the boat. Because it's never really been, re- like, the, the returning of, which blade of it, Chukandomo, which was intended to be an apology, or at least a peace offering, helped a lot. So, it's one of those cases where, again, for example, the lion just agreed not to talk about Doshi Kurohito, because he did a lot of, he did a lot of really good things, but you just don't talk about the end of his life, you just don't. It's not something you discuss in polite company. Unless, you say, a sensei in a dojo teaching students about the importance of Bushido and the importance of knowing when and how to ask permission to Sakufu. But yeah, I, I just thought it was it's interesting to examine the Matsu side of it, right? And it's, again, all I'm seeking to show here is that there are reasonable reasons within the context of the universe and maybe even, speaking as an outsider, you know, as a citizen of North America, that it perhaps, looking at the same events, there is a good reason, or at least an acceptable reason, why Matsu felt she was the wronged party, not Kakita, and that he was the one acting out of turn, not her. Having said that, I mean, it's part of the point is it's ancient canon so that we can have enough ambiguity, that both sides can say, no, clearly, we're right, you're wrong, let's go.
0: Now, the I guess the other more general thing I had wanted to touch over there, what you you made some statements in there about blood feuds, about what the emperor and the emperor would have occurred, and I so mm-hmm. one of the things that occurred to me when you said that was, well, I thought that part of the point of a blood feud was that the imperial authorities weren't supposed to get involved, so And and, and Blood Feuds are kind of this, to me, odd thing. They get mentioned in the RPG, but they rarely seem to happen in the story. And it's, it's always kind of weird to me. Like, where does a, you know, why is one situation, you have a duel and it's done. And then there are other situations where things come back and you're, you know, you're squabbling back and forth years later, like, are are there rules for what you can call a Blood Feud on? And who determines whether or not it's a legitimate Blood Feud, and et cetera?
1: That's a good question. I don't think they've been written in a formal RPG set of rules since. And if I was being called upon as a GM for, like, you know, my campaign sort of thing, how would I run them? Well, it would be one of those kind of discretionary decisions where there's a variety of factors that everyone know applies, and then you just have to convince the people in charge and or the general public that it's legitimate. Which sounds very vague. It is. But I think that's the accurate answer. That for something to be more than just resolved by you and me, There have to be reasons why, and things would include stuff like, for whatever reason, I can't get you to duel me. Or that the transgression involves more than a few parties, such that a duel cannot be the appropriate way to solve and resolve the matter. Or that justice, quote-unquote, is delayed by enough time that I can't simply find one successor to the original wrongdoer. And so on and so forth. I don't think it is something where there's a set of concrete rules or a checklist. I do think it is one where people weigh the various factors involved. And then go with what feels right. Which sounds terrible, but... I think that's how it is. I'm not aware of a set of codified blood feud rules in, like, even a setting information. And that's kind of how I picture it, that cert- like, okay, if Yakumo and Hitomi had lived long enough to have kids, <laughs> even if the two of them eventually had a duel, I'm not sure that would have solved it. I'm not sure that would have solved it. Partially because there are hints in various places, some of which are extra canon, so do they count or not? I don't know. because. Like John Wick was quite fond of doing kind of canonical statements and non-canonical sources that were not recorded, and then you're like, well, do they count? That he told me is just misremembering because, like, that that was he, he at least once or twice stated he told me it's just wrong. Yakumo did not murder Satsu, but the only concrete articulation of what happened is in *Way of the Dragon*. Which is Hitomi's perspective, where very clearly Yakumo murder Satsu. So, given that kind of ambiguity, I could see a blood feud starting.
0: Well, that's been, that has been revisited though. Because mm-hmm. I know it was revisited in the Legion of the yes, Dead right. fictions, right? If, I don't yeah. know, at least it came, got revisited there, and I think it's been revisited elsewhere, although I, that I certainly right. did not prepare for. For this, I did do that little, that little piece of the feud through the cards on the website, but that didn't involve, that was just looking at the cards, not, uh.
1: But, like, we know that Satsu was visited by Togashi in some way prior to the duel, after Satsu issues the challenge, but before the duel, and based on that exchange, Satsu determines that it is essential that Yakumo not die. And he throws to That That's the general understanding that I and the rest of the players have. Right?
0: Well, yes. And I, I it occurred to me at some point while we were doing the talking about the Kikita and Matsu thing, but we should probably not assume that everyone knows what we're talking about. That's because Yakimo was the crab thunder. And so that's presumably right. the, the sort of thing that Togashi would have said is like, well, FYI this guy is the Crab Thunder, so if you kill him, I don't yeah. know about this whole beating Fu like well, thing.
1: I'm not sure, because... Okay, that's that would be entirely what I think Satsu would have walked away from that discussion with. Okay. Um, I think it is worth... And, and I, I'm just throwing this out there without necessarily intention of following up on it here. One wonders why Satsu... Sorry, why Togashi did not appear to Satsu before Satsu issued the challenge or what the impact on Hitomi's growing up was of Satsu dying in that fashion. Because I think an argument can be made, and it's a very interesting argument, that the point of Togashi appearing before Satsu's there is not to protect Yakimo, but to create the Dragon Thunder.
0: I, I knew you were going there, Fred. Right. I knew you were going there. Course, I'm like, right. I know what Fred thinks about Togashi. It's like, oh, Togashi knew that he needed this bitter, warped, twisted ball of a woman to be the Dragon Thunder. <laughs> but,
1: I mean, like, and the thing is, though, you have to assume acts and omissions are relevant, and when Togashi chooses to act is relevant. Right? If if he just wanted to protect Yakumo, he could have appeared before Satsushu in that challenge.
0: What would he have to appear the night before He'd say, like, by the way, tomorrow, is going to insult your wife, so... Or, or,
1: even, or even after, because we don't know how long Satsu knows about this before calling for remedy. Or for that matter, Togashi is acting as Yokuni at that point. He can deny permission for the duel.
0: Yeah, but, I, I mean, isn't that one of those things where you get into, uh... Rokugan stuff, I mean, yeah, Satsu could have withdrawn his challenge too or something, right? I mean, yes, I'm sure yes. there would have been some way that Satsu could have theoretically gotten out of it without dying. It just would have, I mean, right, it's, right. That, that's but, one of those things where like, oh well, this is what makes for a good story, it's so. What makes good,
1: for good what ifs too, right? <laughs> the, the other thing is though, so, the way of the dragon perspective is clearly Hitomi remembering Yakumo murdering Satsu.
0: Yeah, see, you got you got to be careful here, Fred, though, because, like, if you go on the AEG boards, you remember what my avatar is? <laughs> yeah.
1: Right? It's, it's a very... No, what I'm saying is it's a very interesting <laughs> thing to examine, and all I'm saying is Hitomi and Yakimo, and because we don't need to get into all the rest of this. It's interesting, but it's not kind of germane to the topic. Yeah. Is if Hitomi and Yakimo had lived long enough to marry and have children, we'll ignore the fact that Yakimo specifically said he wasn't going to... And he told me uh, had various <laughs> issues. But if they actually lived <laughs> and had children, even if the two of them had dueled each other later in life, that may not have ended it.
0: Yeah, well, it certainly didn't end the first couple of times they. Right?
1: <laughs> the two of them tried to kill each other repeatedly.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: And, you know, it took it took an oni carrying Yakumo's name for the, that particular hot feud to end, but. And that was only kind of a détente rather than ending, right? And going back to the whole, you know, Satsu talking to Togashi, to to Togashi and so on, we know that the Empire needed Seven Thunder. And we know that it definitely looks like, uh, Satsu's reason, Satsu's own internal motivation for throwing that duel is definitely to protect the Seventh, what he considers to be the Crowd Thunder. Absolutely. But again, we don't know, and, and we shouldn't know, exactly what Togashi showed him. But yeah, that that's just one of those things where, like, it, it's it's interesting to kind of pull at the threads, right? Where, where, and I think that's the point of having these kinds of sessions with you, just to, to pull at the threads and see how the setting fits together, right? Like, the other topic that I, I thought is one of the Ken's topics, in case we didn't have one that came up, you know, uh, from preparation or planning or organically, would be, like, the Isawa-Shiba relationship, right? I think most people understand Shiba's role in bowing before Isawa, swearing fealty to Isawa's line in order to get a Thunder for the original Day of Thunder. But I think players haven't looked at... It wasn't just arrogance that made Isawa insist on Shiba bowing. And so unless you have another topic let's you want to move into that?
0: Uh,
1: or if you want to keep going on this I'm good with that. Well,
0: it wasn't so much keep going on this is that I thought it might be a I I tried to avoid having hour and 40 minute podcasts oh, anymore. Yeah, 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 and yeah. so I would actually suggest that that would be a topic for a a later session not cuz there's something wrong with the topic but just sure. for length purposes. That's cool. okay. So, although that I guess that would be it. <laughs> it may or may not matter because it always, par- partially it's uh, getting into me editing, but I, I am kind of curious what, uh I don't know what people want in podcasts, because I always know that I, as a listener, I guess I often want something kind of shorter, and yeah, yeah. I mean like, and I know that we used to have like these hour and 40 minute, two hour long talk yeah, yeah. about things, but I know when I'm listening to a podcast, like I was just listening to one of the recent episodes of the the Net you know, as a net runner podcast. That's and,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's like it's an hour and a half long, and like okay, that's that's really more than I want to listen to. Whereas I like really like like uh, I listen to Richard Garfield's not Richard Garfield, uh, Mark Rosewater's Drive to Work podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like those are those are basically half an hour. Yeah, and
1: Rosewater does good stuff.
0: Yeah, and. And I like when I'm listening to things that seems to be a better time to be. And we always and we never that short. Sure. But so I I expect that you uh will hear from Fred and I on Chiva and Asawa and other topics. Sure. That may or may not include the Katsuki. I know. Uh, Thank I don't know if we ever. That. I don't for know if we want to get into that.
1: We can examine things like Togashi in greater detail. I I think he's a really interesting character. I just think. I think John Wick intentionally wrote in more ambiguity than people re- realize, but like even even in simple things like when did he choose to appear before Satsu right? Um, but I think it's pretty clear Togashi has been was aligned with the Empire for the vast majority of the setting. right It's just how he did it might be a little bit alien.
0: Yes, yes, as I, I mean my, my internal rule of thumb is that anytime there's something involving Tagashi, Fred, you have sat down and thought about the way to phrase it that makes Tagashi sound as sinister as possible.
1: <laughs> I don't think that's correct. I actually think it's that, uh, that I've tried to look at it from as many different <laughs> perspectives as possible. And for purposes of stuff like this, uh, I think it's more useful for me to explore the stuff people haven't automatically thought through, right? Like, everyone can make the argument for Watogashi is a good guy, right? It's, It's very easy and it's very straightforward, right? And it's probably the argument that should carry the day, right? Because I think the majority of it is that he is aligned with the Empire, and he, behind the scenes, tried to put the pieces into place so that uh, the Day of Thunder had the maximum chance of success the second day, right? I'm clearly going to
0: agree with that. <laughs> right? There's
1: not that much that says he was a- active in the first day, in terms of, to the same, like, level. Uh, but I do think John Wick intended for there to be some question. Like, Way of the Scorpion is full of that, for example. And... I do find that since not that many CCG players or even modern RPG players have read the original Cycle of Way of books. So that it is important to the setting as a whole that those other perspectives be kind of re-explored because they inform where we are now, right? I, I don't think Togashi on the whole is a sinister character. I do think, though, that... There are nuance. there's nuance and implication to what he does and doesn't do is that you have to have read some of the original canon and thought about in some detail to at least consider. And I think he's a deeper character for having those things be considered.
0: Yeah. I personally would consider it a, a shame if you are... If 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 someone, I guess I will say, say this to the the audience, uh, or since you know it's something that you know you've obviously you know you and I have obviously read them, Freddy. Yeah, if you are into L5R, especially the RPG, and you have not read the original Way of books, there's something wrong with you. Go read them. Frankly, if if you were getting into the RPG now and like you had the fourth edition book, so you had all the mechanical you had the, you know, mechanical stuff for the modern books. I... I I mean, I think the way of books should be the next thing you read, right? Like, all the way back to where it started.
1: And most of them, because it's old RPG material, it's not that expensive, and I think, like, a complete set might go... If you did not shop around, I would say, like, 70 bucks for the complete set. And... In terms of the amount of setting information you get, not not all of the specific details are up to date now, great, right? but in terms of just casting the clans in the Empire, it's a very good return on investment. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and, and you know, gaming but gaming dollars are finite, but that's you know, quite a few books that help lay out the core backdrop to the game, and to the setting, and to why the clans look at the world the way they do, and detail, which often informs our fictions, for example. Like, like the reason Chris goes one way and consistently strawmans me another in terms of Togashi uh, is, is because we're going from the same material. Like I think even though you may or may not agree when I raise these points, I don't think you would say that I'm making it up, or that the facts don't also fit. It, it's just that everyone knows the other side, right? The reason I did the Matsu Kahida thing today is because everyone knows the Kikida side. And the setting is richer if you also see the Matsu side, if you also see how Wick portrayed um, Togashi in, say, *Way as a Scorpion if you also know why Isawa wasn't just being arrogant when he told Shiba to kneel. Right? All of those things make the setting more neat. And you just have to connect the dots. But if you don't know the dots are there, because the setting is you know, 18 years old now, if you don't know the dots are there, then you can't connect them. And one of the points and one of the hopes I'd have is that people who listen to this some throw out some topic suggestions on things they'd like explored in more depth, right? Uh, I don't plan on having a lot of this tie into the current storyline. I want a lot of it to be setting, right? Because that that I think everyone, either if they read current fictions or not, if they play the CCG or not, if they play the RPG or not, can use setting information to increase their enjoyment of the universe.
0: I also think it's kind of interesting. You said that okay, yeah, some of the details of the setting have changed or whatnot. I think that that can actually, in some ways, make the older books more valuable because because you can see that. Yes. And exactly. because you can see some of the ways that the setting has changed. Either I mean, and usually it's not like it's a retcon or something. It's just this has been filled in or things have been tweaked a little bit or like well, one obvious and positive one. I mean that. You go back to the first edition L5R. It's probably much, not probably. It's much closer to "quote unquote" realistic, you know, feudal Japan would have been in how like women are treated, and that's basically gone away in yeah. for the which is fine because who needs that? Yeah. But and and the first edition core book, not that it's one of the way books, but I think the first edition core book is the only thing that has a pronunciation guide in it. So if you go back and read that, you can find out why. When when I'm talking to Fred I apparently am gonna say uh Yakomo, but any other time I'm gonna say Yakomo or Naseru instead of Naseru or Tutori instead of Tutori or something like that. Yeah. Because uh I don't follow the pronunciation guide, I just anglicize everything. So then you can send me nasty little emails about how I uh don't know anything about Ruku It'll be a blast.
1: You just you just like first year Japanese would do it as well. Uh <laughs> no, like, but who has time to do that in order to play the RPG, right?
0: Yeah, then it's and, probably easier to look at the RPG book than to go take a language class.
1: But it's, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that because I actually did take a smattering of Japanese way back many years ago. So, but like, believe me, I, I just have fits when people call it kotai. Um, but the setting—18 years for an RPG setting. Or any gaming setting is a long time. There are very few games that have run this long. Very, very few. And that means there's a ton of information out there that's canon, that's relevant, that makes a setting richer. And like just drawing, just like I said, drawing, drawing those connections, filling in the gaps, Exploring logical implications, exploring hypotheticals is fun. It's, it makes whatever form in which you interact with the setting neater. And, and I'm hoping that through sessions with Chris and me or other media as we come up with them, that I can help players explore that. Because it's cool. It's fun. It's, 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 It's not just nerdiness, although there is an aspect of that. Um, And hopefully, like, there are various things that the fans out there want explored because I'm happy to have a little structure, because otherwise it's the Chris and Fred show, and goodness knows that can end in disaster.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it for this session. But like Fred says, please do let us know if there's any sort of topic you want to hear about, because if you don't get some suggestions, then pretty soon uh, you're going to have to listen to me complain about how they're still talking about taking heads as trophies, and I really don't need to read about that anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but until that fateful day, I'm Chris Stevenson, and for Fred Juan, you have been listening to Strange Assembly, Never Stop Gaming. You have been listening to Strange Assembly. You can get a hold of me at chris at You can also visit our website at strangeassembly.com or let us know what you're thinking on Twitter where we're at strangeassembly or facebook.com slash strangeassembly. I always do like to hear from you either about the things that Fred and I talked about this episode, things that you'd like to hear in future episodes or Just anything about the podcast or website generally. Thanks.